0: You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Hello, welcome to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Its purpose is to dissect and discuss horror films, both old and new. As we are kind of rolling along in our se- season of the uh, the current Surgeons of Horror podcast, we're going back to um, look at uh, one of the early directors that we started off with when we began this whole thing, and that's Mr. Wes Craven. Um, we've just spoken about A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was um, one of, obviously, his highlights of his career. And we are kind of dubbing this season uh, the Wes Craven Nightmare Years, so we're kind of going from A Nightmare on Elm Street basically up to A New Nightmare. Um, <laughs> So, um, and all that comes in between, and this one being the first one of those, which was a made for television movie uh, called Chiller. But before we dissect and discuss, I should probably introduce myself as the host of the Sessions of Horror podcast. My name is Saul Murte, and joining me to discuss this film is Anthony Big Cheesy. Welcome aboard, Dad.
1: Hello. You know what I'm going to say next?
0: Go on, go on, what? <laughs>
1: Chilla Chilla yeah.
0: Night. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's not that oh. bad. <laughs> um so so um and 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 um so when um, <laughs> uh when uh before we kind of start talking about this and I normally ask um uh, about uh, the movie itself but i just want to throw back to last season because last or the last season we spoke about wes craven in our early years discussions of his career the last movie we spoke on was uh, i believe was um into invitation to hell or from hell one of those two um <laughs> and, uh, and it was uh and i'm pretty sure you were in that conversation from memory um but it was the for, it was it was Wes Craven's first real made for TV movie.
1: Ah, uh, is that the one with the set on a ranch or something? And there's a is that the girl who's a horse rider or some shit like that?
0: No, 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 no. That was oh, see, t- see, I wonder why. Yeah, you're right. That probably may have fallen into made for TV land. Actually, yeah, that was um, that was the Summer of Fear one. Um, yes, with um,
1: uh, which is
0: Linda uh, Blair oh, yeah. for Exorcist. and it was all about, like, Yeah, you're right. Okay. So there was another one that kind of came, right. It was kind of... Wedge Craven had, had been kind of, uh, despite success with um, Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, uh, was still kind of getting labelled with um, being typecast, with uh, being a horror movie director, but not just a horror movie director, uh, a horror movie director who works on a low budget. Mm. Um, And so these are the kind of things that he he was getting sent. And uh, in the wake of the success of um, A Nightmare on Elm Street, he was kind of hoping that that potentially would open up doors for him. Um, Obviously, he would still get labelled with this typecasting for quite uh, a series of time afterwards. And he was trying to break out of that cycle and... Uh, basically, kind of do. He he liked um, he liked comedy and satire, which I think obviously is evident by the time Screen comes around. That um, and he was uh, he was able to kind of marry the two when it came to that point in his career. Um, mm. But at this stage of time, he was still getting sent scripts, and he basically uh, would even I think in his words said he he would just go mad just kind of reading all these scripts or just kind of. Pick one and go right. What what can I do to work work with this? Um, just to kind of keep keep moving forward. And this is where Chiller kind of lands us. Essentially, this is a point where straight off the bat of um, back of uh, doing a nightmare on Elm Street, he gets this kind of chance to do a t- make for TV movie. Um, now you and I have watched this on a DVD, which. Uh, Let's be fair; it isn't the best quality. Uh, mm-hmm. It feels like it's been recorded straight off a TV onto VHS and then dumped across onto the DVD. Um, mm-hmm. And the audio is is really hard to hear certain points of it because of the dodginess of the recording. Um, but it seems like that's the only kind of copy that I could I could at least get my hands on. And so this we are kind of, um, and I guess I'm pre- prefacing this by uh, to the or, listeners out there is that basically like we we didn't have a very good well it was a hard time to watch this spite of the low budget quality um of the movie itself let alone the uh the low budget quality of the actual uh video visuals and audio components for us to be able to enjoy this movie or not um but before we get into that had you i guess the question is had you ever heard of this movie before
1: no, I I thought we'd gone through all of these how many movies has he made that nobody knows about? How many two movies has he done? There
0: are there are a few because I were you the one that was on um the uh um Incubus one, uh, Deadly Blessing with, with Sharon Stone's first feature. Was that you or did I do that with someone else?
1: I think you did that with someone else. Yeah.
0: So that was kind of I I, I only mentioned that because I, I kinda liked it. But also yeah. uh Wes Craven said it's probably the least known of his movies that he kind of likes too. So, right. Uh, the time, so, um, and I had a lot going for that one. Um, yeah. so yeah, there are, there are a couple that kind of dot along, especially around this time time frame too. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to be kind of, as I said, talking through the, the nightmare years, um, through his career, which, um, I think the next one up we've got is deadly friend. Um, after this one, which uh, is, again, another made-for-TV kind of film. And then we get The Serpent and the Rainbow, which had a bit of a following of itself, and then another made-for-TV one called Shocker. Um, before we did Yeah. yeah uh, no, no, that one's still to come. Um, and then we get The People Under the Stairs, which is probably uh, more kind of moving into movies that he started becoming known for. Uh, and then he does the return to a nightmare and L shoot with Wes oh, okay. new nightmare. So
1: is Shocker is Shocker the one with the android? I'm thinking of something completely different.
0: Uh, no, Shocker from Memory was the prisoner who gets um, um, on the electric chair and then. Uh, um, did he do the robot one?
1: Like a little robot, and he ends up. Uh, Oh, I don't know. It's it's something my my cousin used to love watching. It was running about The Nightmare on Elm Street years. And it stars the boy from this TV series where he plays a genius. Yes. Uh, And and then he ends up doing his first feature film, which is a schlock horror. I thought it was Wes Craven. I could be wrong. It's about a girl he likes. He dies and she ends up being... He puts her in a killer robot's body. I don't know. Something really dumb. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Sounds awesome. Yeah. I don't, I don't know it, though. Um.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, probably not then.
0: <laughs> no,
1: I, I, um, I'd never heard of this, but there's something about – there's one particular scene which struck the memory chord with me, so I may have seen it as a trailer as a kid. Yeah, sure. Um, Because the weird thing with me and with Wes, you just it because Nightmare on Elm Street was like one of the defining movies of the 80s. Yeah. I mean, a lot of movies in the 80s were schlock horror. Became huge because of the VHS boom. We talked about this with Simon Chapman. Yes, and like Nightmare on Elm Street is right up there as like iconic in terms of those those little horror films and horror films in general. So you see him after a big success like that, you go on as a director to doing bigger and better things. But I didn't know that he had to have. Basically, has a dip of kind of B grade, C grade films, really. Yes, until he gets the second Nightmare film. So this is interesting. You you think that once you have a hit on your hands in Hollywood, you can start writing your own checks, really? As yeah, a show maker.
0: Yeah. There was like um, I'm I'm pulling this from um, a book uh, that I've been reading or I have been reading on and off uh, called The Man and His Nightmares with um, Wes Craven, and it's by John Woolley. Uh, and it essentially kind of delves into all of his films like little snippets along the way. And it does say that uh, it takes a quote from uh, The Enquirer. Uh, at the time, uh, with an interview with Wes Craven, and um, it kind of says, you know, it's was similar to what I was just saying a minute ago. But he was trying to join in in the club, um, so to speak. So people that had made horror movies but had gone on to greater success, so like John Carpenter, Brian De Palma, um, yeah. and even Sean Cunningham, who he worked with on um, on a uh, Last House on the Left, by that point was kind of considered, you know, uh, part of that club. Um, But he he was always kind of skirting on the periphery and he was hoping that A Nightmare on Elm Street would be that kind of breakthrough moment. And I I guess it did, but it just, um, it still took a while for him to really kind of cement himself um, before it got to that stage, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's funny. That's so weird. Yeah,
0: yeah. So Go on.
1: It's weird. No, no, because, I mean, you do, I mean, the best filmmakers I, I like. Cut, cut their teeth in television anyway. Yes. Because you learn you just learn my dream. Yeah. Spielberg is yeah. one of those guys. Um and Craven, when you hear when you tell me oh he's done a lot of T V movies, I thought, okay, that's him cutting his teeth. And then he starts doing the big feature films and then his career yeah. takes off, but it doesn't he doesn't go along that linear path. He does big hit and goes backwards, goes forwards, goes backwards. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, yeah strange oh, it really um, is. yeah i can understand why he'd feel a bit bitter about that
0: <laughs> yes, yes yes indeed um so uh so speaking of let's so let's let's just start nighting through so that was kind of the background of where he was at and how how he was feeling at the time um let's let's take a look at the uh movie and and dissect it if we can um and i reckon we could probably kind of nut through the plot line fairly quickly because it, it, it is a fairly basic plot line um and it does feel like TV land straight off the bat when we kind of start opening this up. We're in this kind of cryogenic lab where there's a security guard. And it just dro- – was it me or did this seem really drawn out, this sequence, like where he's having a coffee and he well, keeps looking out? And-
1: yeah, I, well, the copy – I mean, I, yeah, the copy I saw, which the copy let me – I had to have the sound turned down anyway. Okay. For reasons I won't go into. But I literally got up. I, I played it, got up to get a cup of tea, came back, and the scene's still going, yes. uh, has this thing where some guy's trying to scare the security guard um, yeah. wearing garbage bags on his feet. I don't know why. <laughs> no. uh, um, and then he scares the guy. It's another security guard and it's that like classic, oh, what are you doing? Oh, it's a misdirect. Yes. It's not so scary. And they, they they change shift and this new security guard takes over and this chirogenic tubes. Yeah, you realise that the whole place is full of chirogenically frozen people, a la Walt Disney. yes. And one of the tubes breaks down, and they're like, oh shit, what do we do? <laughs> uh, uh, and again, I'm watching this with the sound mostly turned down, so I'm trying to, f- I'm, I'm getting a lot of, uh, yeah, you learn, you, yeah, it's surprising how much you can learn from just watching the sound turned down <laughs> on certain movies. I just don't know if that means the movie's put together really well or put together really badly. I'm still figuring that out. But the impression I got with the sound turned down is that the one, the tube that's malfunctioning, they have to revive the guy, or he's going to die. And then it cuts to a hospital, uh, and the surgeon's talking to this older woman, who's the woman from Poltergeist! Yeah! Um, so and that's, she's...
0: Uh, I'll just I'll cut in there. So, yeah, yeah um, she plays... Um, oh, sorry, mine's gone blank. Um, she plays Dr Lesh in uh, Poltergeist. Uh, yes. She's played by um, Beatrice Strait, who's her name. <coughs>
1: The most irresponsible woman of her time or age, mm-hmm. whatever the line is. Yes. Um. And so she, the the doctors, the doctors are talking to her about the, the guy in the tube. I thought it was her husband. Then I realised no, no, she's too old. It's her son. Yeah. And and then she gives him permission to revive him. So I had to look up on Wikipedia what was going on. Basically, he dies. He died of something back in the seventies. Yes. Because uh, he's been frozen for ten years. It's nineteen eighty five. Yes. And but they can now cure it. So yeah. she's like, "Yes, cure him now," which is the whole theory behind cryogenic freezing, when it was a, a a craze and a fad. Yeah. Which was, you put you on ice, whatever it is that was killing you, can have to be cured in the twenty first century or whatever. Yeah. But to my knowledge, the problem with cryogenic freezing as an actual science is that it does that. It actually freezes the pathways to your brain, and once yeah. that's all crystallized, that's effectively fucked. It's useless. Yes. So you can't revive somebody. Uh, he's frozen, really. I mean, I mean, I, I've done a little bit of research into this because I'm fascinated by hibernation. Yeah, like, yeah. I thought concept, you would. You know, yes. <laughs> and that's the problem with it. You can't just. Yeah. You can slow, like bears slow their metabolism down, so they 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 don't need to basically function as quickly mm. as possible. So that's what draws out their lifespan. But that, they don't freeze themselves. They literally sleep, and slow, and and that's why they need to be in a cave where they can be protected from the elements and so on and so forth. But When they try and replicate that scientifically, Mm. yeah, human beings can't do that. So you freeze them, but the problem with freezing is that that's it—you freeze. It's like um, where you can't refreeze certain foods in the microwave because once you refreeze them again, the
0: molecular bonds break down, like that.
1: Mm. So anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, That means Walt Disney cut his head off for no reason whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so that's what they they revived this guy, um, who's a son. And she's a billionaire woman, obviously, because she yeah. can afford this frozen. Um, next thing I know, he's in a hospital bed, and some nurses like, "She's what's she doing? She's trying to massage his muscles or some shit." Yeah, 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 that's right. Um, and then he wakes up, and this is this is the other thing, this bit here. Then this big sci-fi thing happens, With his where he, his face starts to the muscles of his cheeks and the muscles on his face oh, start yeah. to yeah, pull yeah. up. And this is the thing. I think that that struck a chord in me. I remember seeing that, I think, in the trailer, and I think that's what it was like as a kid, thinking, oh, okay, I saw that in the trailer, I think somewhere. Anyway, here's the thing. With Hollywood, Yeah. whenever a major special effect achievement is achieved in a certain film, like a, a special effect breakthrough is achieved in a film, yes. other films are duplicated for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> so... And when, uh, I think it was American Werewolf in London, discovered that if you put prosthetics on a person's face and then yeah. puff them up because they're like basically air bladders, it yes. makes your face expand, and that gives the illusion that your face is changing. Yes. And which is perfect for a werewolf film when uh, the guy's face changes into a werewolf. It literally elongates and expands into the shape of a werewolf, which it really doesn't. It actually just muscles on the face just literally your cheeks and your and your forehead just expands. Yes. That looks freaky because we hadn't seen that before. And yeah. then they cut away to somebody reacting to that, and then it cut back to another face, which is obviously had more prosthetics attached on. So as special effects goes, it's cheap. It's just literally putting latex on somebody's face and putting a tube underneath it so it pumps up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But it was such a breakthrough sort of look at the time. So many films copied it, and this yeah. is one of them, obviously, yeah. yes. as a transformation effect. So whenever a character transforms, even if you don't really need it, like, this effect was really prevalent in the 80s. The next big effect that was like that was morphing, digital morphing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Digital
1: morphing came into effect. Yeah. Fucking every show, every TV every movie had it um, because it blew everybody away, just how you could smoothly transition one face into another. Yes. And I remember fucking um, Saving Private Ryan when the old guy literally digitally transforms into uh, – when Ryan – uh matt damon sorry yeah, yeah. digitally transforms into the old guy at the end there's no reason for him to, to physically morph into the guy that just did it because he could yes the opening credits to roseanne the uh, uh yeah they all the cast oh, members wow. literally morph in from the younger cells into the older cells in the opening credits because that technology was available why would you have characters morphing into the older cells <laughs> <credits? laughs> yeah but yeah. that was it that was the special effect of the day that everybody was using so that was the only thing I took away from, from that was that this, guy, this nice. guy's face just like expands and with his with the, his cheeks expands and his for for no reason other than it looks freaky, and the girl freaks out and his eyes open and they're really odd eyes,
0: the really odd eyes thing yeah that's right yeah. and then the yeah. other the other assistant comes in and goes what's going on and looks yeah looks, nothing Is this not- nothing.
1: So I assumed I thought, not knowing anything about the film, I thought that nurse was gonna be the female lead, but it wasn't. She was just some girl who'd be scared. It's some
0: girl, yeah. 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 So um with uh, with that in mind, the um <laughs> the guy in question, the guy, the the rich guy, Miles, um, he's played by Michael Beck, who is Granadu. Xanadu. Oh see that wasn't the first one I was gonna say. I was gonna go Warriors All oh, the
1: Warriors Warriors, warriors and Sanity's
0: Command Play. That isn't
1: play.
0: <laughs> that's not his character though, obviously. He plays uh, swanny <coughs> or Swan, the um one of the dudes. One of the dudes, yeah. One of the it's dudes who I recognise him from. But yeah, he's also in Xanadu. Um along with that as well. Um which is kind of cool, um or not depending on which way you want to look at it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah, so he kind of wakes up. um, And so with uh, him kind of being kind of uh, reawakened, he ultimately wants to take over the company business, um, which he was running at the time. Um, Was his dad running? His dad had run it, who's now passed away. And so some other old dude who's kind of been running the ship for a little while, um, and basically, Miles kind of comes back, and he basically just says he wants to strip, strip it right down, and just anything that um, it isn't needed to kind of uh, make it profitable. Essentially,
1: uh, yeah,
0: he's a douche. Yeah. So, but yeah. this kind of taps into like basically like this is the underlying theme that runs through. You know that this is uh, kind of a comment on the. Uh, 1980s I'm trying to remember what year this came out now 85 uh, so mid 1980s so like the Reagan kind of era and how you know greed is good kind of uh, concept uh, just the kind of you know the phrase from Wall Street um, and yeah that money and power is, is everything um, and yeah so that's kind of like kind of what we're talking about here in the world that Miles is trying to create um, and become this kind of egomaniac kind of character that's just held well, on on money and profit. First
1: thing that I I sort of noticed too is when he got when he gets home. And again, I'm watching when the sound turned down. Yeah, he gets home, and of course, not not all is right with him. But um, nobody knows at this point because he's still a bit. He's just in. He's in a wheelchair. He's still a bit. Yeah, dazed about what's happened because he's just come back from the dead. Yeah, and of course one person the entire family one creature in the entire family that suss out straight away he's not right is the dog the dog the dog, the The doberman just doesn't like him starts yapping and and, because because animals always sense something that we can't sense yeah they're our guardians um you also introduced at this point to a stepsister yes um and so yeah so she's i recognize her from certain things i think she was like a teenage Screen Cream. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, you're, you're um, right and the money, um, and her name's Jill Scholan, but she, like, Sholen, yes. Two, two years after this, made a name for herself as Stephanie Maine in um, The Stepfather. Uh, oh, okay, which kind of launched her, and then you know after that she went uh, a couple of other stuff, including um, Phantom of the Opera, um, where she plays the Christine, Lady, opposite um, Robert England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, a, and a bunch of other stuff, which kind of, as I said, kind of labelled her as, as a bit of a screen queen in her own right. Um, yeah. But yeah, like she's she's very kind of quiet in this. She's not like she's uh, other than right towards the very end. She doesn't really offer much other than being um, the object of Milesy's gaze. Um,
1: Brilliant. Yeah, because again, I, sound turned down. I thought they were brother and sister, which I thought, oh, that's kind of edgy. He's sonny perving on his sister. <laughs>
0: yes. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: can I actually just check. Here's the thing: like um, my 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 wife and stepdaughter love Lucifer, that TV series Lucifer. Oh yeah, and I, I I watch it in the corner of my eye when they when I've got it playing, and yeah. I get why it's popular. It's very it's it's got a certain market in mind, which is yeah, yeah. women women who love that sort of stuff, like Amy. I, Amy Hutton, who we yes. are friends of, and yes. is a yes. massive, massive Supernatural fan. Hi, Amy. Um, yeah, as soon as I saw it, hi, Amy, I thought, I bet you Amy's going to love this. And she does. She likes it too. Because yes. I get, I kind of get the idea. He's the ultimate. He's literally the ultimate bad boy. Yes. Sort of trying to seek redemption. Because um, yes. yeah, uh, yeah. uh, the whole thing I guess you forget about Satan is that he's actually, he's not, he is the devil, but he is an angel yes. first and foremost. He was yes. the favoured son, blah, blah, blah. And so... The way they pitch him in, the, in this TV series is that he is um, – he just questions. He questions the one thing, you, the one being you can't question, which is yeah. God.
0: Yeah. But he does,
1: as a son does. like He just questions his motivation and calls calls him out on the way he behaves. Like God works in mysterious ways and he's it's like, no, you're just being a douche. Um, so and so forth. Anyway, the whole thing about it is that it's a PG TV show. It's a mainstream TV show. So how do you show the devil being the devil without completely watering down what he does yeah. so that most yeah. he does he, he owns a nightclub he fucks but he fucks he just fucks that's his thing because he, he's, he's, he's 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 going this whole thing where he works with a detective and he solves crimes and blah blah, blah. but in the meantime he literally fucks anything in a skirt but the, the most edgiest thing they've done is they literally he they had to interrogate all the women that he's ever screwed fucked with for a one of the cases that he was working on and one of them was a guy
0: Okay. okay. Guys,
1: which, which he makes a fun like couple one liners about. Like he openly admits, okay, he fucks guys, but like that's as edgy as it gets, right? Yeah, because at one yeah. point his mother they invent a character who's his mother. She that, comes to Earth, yeah. right? And um and um and then she takes over the body of this really attractive lawyer woman, and then because she's clueless, she's never been in the human body before, she walks around naked, and so he he freaks out and he says like, "Mother, you know, like you can't be naked and stuff like that." And people because she's she's young. Assume that they're together, and he's like really repulsed at the fact that he thinks I'm with my mother. I'm like, well, hang on. If you're Satan and you are, you're you everything that is anti-Christian, anti-God, like in all the other like in all the things you've heard, all the really edgy movies, he does really horrible things. Yeah, shouldn't incest be one of them? upset like like you know what i'm saying he should be if he's supposed to be this edgy guy who does everything he should do everything <laughs> like i'm talking really messed up stuff right because he's supposed to be sane yeah and yeah, that's yeah. that's what this really interesting thing about uh, um um these sort of movies when this character is supposed to be really evil because i remember that the character in the amityville movie the prequel amtual movie is that he ends up seducing his sister because yes. that was going to hurt God the most.
0: Yes. And that's,
1: that's really edgy, right? That's really mean. And so, so again, with this, with this, this, when I saw this, I am thinking, oh, they're going to make him because he has no soul. Because that's, that's the whole gist of it. They're like bringing him back to life. He doesn't have a soul, which is yeah. why he behaves. Like, is he going to do something like hit on his own sister or whatever, trying to seduce her? So I thought, oh, okay, that's kind of edgy. But then I had the sound turned down. So I <laughs> assumed that's what was going on. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, you know. Yes, it's messed up, but isn't that kind of the point? Yeah, this is always a problem yeah. when you try to make an evil character be um, approachable or redeemable. Is that they've done irredeemable things, especially in the case of your know, Satan or guy? Like Dexter was a classic conundrum for me too. Like Dexter yeah, was this amazing character killing serial killers, um, uh, but a lot of people who had problems with it. What? Well, raise a decent point is that he's still a serial killer (laughs) and so how can you how can you glorify a lead character who does that um which yeah which is interesting which which, i'm not i'm not making a judgment one way or the other i'm just thinking it's a really interesting question yeah um because yeah it's a good point but i mean but at the same time he's killing serial killers and but delving into their psyche psyche does that justify it yeah i don't know i really don't know another level, you could talk about the Big Bang Theory, right? Because yeah. <laughs> they glorified the character of Sheldon, right? Being yeah. somebody who effectively yeah. has Asperger's, whatever it yes. is. Yes. But to me, I found that that sitcom justified him behaving really horribly to his friends for seasons on end. Yeah, yeah. And they all they all accommodate him. They all walk in eggshells around him. And I think that was re- – it got to the point where, like, it was getting really annoying for me as a fan of that show. Yeah, Because okay. um, they, ju- they justified his terrible behaviour time again and time again. Um, yeah so that went too much the
0: other way I thought and I, and I guess that's the thing isn't it like I mean both we're, we're talking about uh, the subject of stuff that's made for TV and I, I guess Dex is mm. slightly a bit of an exception because it had license to go areas that the other kind of components that we're talking about probably wouldn't have but even so it is still you're still trying to make somebody who's essentially got evil in them likeable Um yeah And, um, and, but when we come, coming back to chiller, like, you know, it's a TV movie and you can't escape that. And not only is it TV movie, it's a TV movie born from the eighties. You watch it and it feels like it should stay in the eighties, um, and not beyond that. So, um, it's trapped within the, the, a lot of, uh, within its own kind of confinement, you know, to be accessible for the medium in which it's being produced for. Um, so we're always going to struggle with that if you're a devout horror fans or devout kind of um, movie lovers that want something edgy, something different. Um, yeah. When you're when you're in that kind of environment, um, uh, there are exceptions to the rule. I mean, like I found True Blood was a bit like that as well. A little bit. Like I got yeah. a bit over the fact that everybody had to have something a little bit different about them. Yeah right. I wanted somebody be, to be a token normal in it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't, and I and that's why I, I got a bit lost within that series, going yeah, like, but who, who, who as an audience are we supposed to click with? You know, yeah, right. And be just Joe Blogs, who happens to be
1: I found that with um
0: being Friends. I
1: mean, like, when I can, yeah, when Friends came on, when they first started, if you look at the pilot episode, Joey's quite normal, right? Yes. And then, they, and then I made the decision. In the, from the second episode onwards, he's an idiot. But yeah. the first episode, he's very—he says very articulate things. He contributes to the conversation. He understands things. And then, from episode two or three onwards, hes hes a moron. That's his trope. Yeah. And then I realized, then you realized, oh, they all have a thing bar Monica. And yeah. it was like episode five or six, they gave Monica the neat freak
0: thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I remember, even as a kid, when I watched that, I was thinking, oh, don't do that because suddenly they've all got a thing. Yes. Whereas I you needed one. Had to be the normal one that that was your way in,
0: yeah.
1: And then and then Monica's neat freak thing became really one uh, dimensional. Yeah, that's right. It really did. Yeah, I remember. And and it comes out of nowhere. Up to that point, she's actually she is quite a reasonable, normal person. Yeah, Yeah. she's
0: got. Yeah, I wonder wonder if like I mean, there's a couple things going on with that. But one, you know, uh, the writers and producers fear characters becoming wallpaper, Um, and also when it comes to TV series in particular, like they're looking for longevity. So you kind of start wrangling as much of a- different angles and perspectives to people as possible to kind of draw, draw them out a little bit longer. Um, yeah. But like, I, um, I just find the, uh, uh, what was I wasn't going to say with that too, with the wallpaper comment. Um, I just, I, I feel like you do need to have, Oh, that's right. I know what I was going to say now it's like, the reason why, uh, and I'm talking from a comedy perspective, but the reason why um, the straight man against the funny man routine always worked, you know, so like Morecambe and Wise and... Um, uh, oh, God, my mind's just gone blank now. Um, you know.
1: Shane
0: uh,
1: <laughs> <Ryan> and
0: Schuster? <laughs> the, um, uh, well, yeah, Bob Hope and... That's right. So you need that kind of for the comedy to bounce off the, nor- the normal... I say, yeah, yeah, Yeah. um, to work, and so, yeah, so that I I feel like you you need that, and it's the same with like you know again going back to True Blood, the same kind of thing. You need you needed somebody to be that uh, normal human character for all these fantastical creatures and elements to bounce bounce off and have their reaction to that, Um, Mm. which uh, you know was kind of missing for me. but, yeah, going back to chiller. Um, <laughs> 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 um, so uh, let's pick up with the dog because that's a comedy. Yeah, yes. Our type, yeah. right? Because because essentially, yes, the dog's the one that kind of senses it. He The dog breaks into the house.
1: He actually into breaks the into the house. Yeah, yeah. He says, well, I'll, fuck, I'll fucking sort this. I'm going to sort this. Like, I'm like, this is above and beyond for a dog. <laughs> like, usually, like, in those sort of scenes, the dog goes, bark, 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 bark. They tell the dog to be quiet. The dog yeah. goes, well, fine, fuck you. I've done my bit. Well, I'll just keep going doing what I'm doing. But this dog is like proactive. It is. It's the I'll bit not great. let this jam into my house.
0: It's the bit and weird. he jumps the fence. He jumps the fence. <laughs> he pulls out a blowtorch to kind of cut He his literally voice.
1: opens, the, like he gets a key he gets and he key. fucking oh, like opens oh. the lock and shit. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. What the fuck?
0: <laughs> so like, and, like, go on, go on. Sorry.
1: That's right. The door had a door. I just had like, the door, had a door, doggy door. But did. He uses a lock. He happens a key. He pulls up. <laughs> pulls the dog and like, is it the dog at all? I'm like, what the hell? Anyway, that's all. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> right. So like, uh, there's a couple things going on here too that I just want to add. One one is that um, obviously I felt having watched Royce Craven's earlier stuff that this is kind of almost a bit of a nod to um, The Hills Have Eyes and, and The Dog in That. Because the dog is a hero. Essentially, the dog is the hero in that movie. Right. Um, and there's a lot of the POV shots. Um, from the dog's point of view, um, which mm. is also used here, and so yeah,
1: it is. Yeah,
0: and it's almost like this is a red herring moment because you're going, "Oh, what's going to happen here? Is the, you know, what's is the dog gonna, you know, is he tapping into like old stuff that Craven's worked on?" And he kind of sneaks into the bedroom, jumps up to kind of maul this master, as it were, and mm. the bed's empty. And out, out of the blue comes Miles with a big sheet wraps it around him, and. How does he, he basically smothers him to death, essentially. Smothers it? the dog, which is not
1: going to happen because the dog's going to wriggle free of that shit.
0: Yeah, yeah, right.
1: Otherwise he's going to do the, the neck snapping thing. I don't know. But yeah. that was it. And so obviously he gets rid of the dog. Yeah. Uh, which jumps into your theory that you have about these sort of films, that the dog is the guardian of the family. So you got to get rid of the guardian of the exactly, family. Exactly, so
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. they're done. So the next day the sister wakes up, wears the dog, goes into the backyard, finds the, keep, the housekeeper or the groundskeeper, Yes, just calling grounds, just calling groundskeeper Willie, and um, and then he tells her something. But again, I had the sound turned down. But basically, from her reaction, I'm guessing he told her the dog died. But how?
0: Yeah, the dog died? <laughs> yeah, dog's dead, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is
1: that, yeah, yeah. Did you say I, it got, sorry? What? Did you say it died from a heart attack or some shit? What?
0: I I can't remember. What, I honestly can't remember. That's how attacked <laughs> I. Was, was moved. Um, I don't remember him saying anything. I thought it was like he'd run away. They kind of... Oh, okay. But anyway, like, yeah. But I could be wrong with that. As I said, it kind of went over my head. Um, Not over my head. My head was well and truly over it. Um, Uh But, uh, yeah. So, and at this point, like, as far as, like, uh, the next kind of section of the movie, there's not a lot of stuff happening other than Miles exerting some power play. And there's that one bit where he has a confrontation with um, the guy, the, the old guy that had been running the business for the family. And then he basically just kind of runs away from him up a stairwell. And
1: it kills him like, in the lamest way possible.
0: Yeah, it's so shit. It's so shit. And the guy it's so like shit. A, it's like, it's like it's low high.
1: budget because the guy has a heart attack.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like... I- yeah, well, oh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> it's really, it's really shit. Like, it's yeah. really, it's not even sinister. It's like the guy is like, don't, don't follow him. If your heart's having trouble walking <laughs> up thirty-two flights of stairs, just go. I'll fucking talk to you when and you come down. Why is he chasing after him? I know. It's like yeah. I, I remember Scream, which is not the Wes Craven one. Actually, Scream yeah. the first, second Scream. The second one. Uh, yeah. The killer, the killer was uh, Roseanne's sister in yeah. in Roseanne.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and she's the mother of the first killer and she's, yeah. and to me, it, it took me out of the movie because she wants to reveal that she's the killer. She chases after Sydney with a gun. Yes. And to me, the whole point of Scream is why it's so, for me, why Scream is so visceral is that the killer uses a knife. Yes. He cuts throats and he stabs you with it and that's a very visceral, hands-on way to kill somebody. And when the final killer is a woman with a gun, and I get it because she's physically not as strong as, she's the same Strength level Sydney strength level. That sounds very Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But in order to overpower Sydney, she couldn't use a knife. She needed to use a gun. But once you bring a gun into a horror slasher flick, yeah, it only for me it just takes it just takes it just it just removes you from the from the, the violence of it all. If yeah. that does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because gun is something you associate with pop films, crime films, not slasher films. Yeah, and, it's, and a gun too, which is. The problem with guns is that it's an easy way to kill somebody, whereas these sort of films, you want an elaborate way, a clever way, or a horrific way to kill somebody. That's the point of these slasher films. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So to make him have a heart attack is like, what the fuck? At least push him
0: over the edge, maybe. I don't know. I thought that's what it was going to come to because it kept going up up and up the stairs. I thought, is he going to end up getting to the top and then pushing him over? Yeah. No, just... Fucking heart attack. And so at that point on, I went, uh, this this is going to be painful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 we don't, do you have money in the budget to push him over the
1: ledge? No, no. <laughs> okay. No. In that case, new writing, new page. Yeah. He does a heart attack. Yeah. Done. Can we move on now? Thank you.
0: <gasps> Excellent. As you were. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, like, yeah, the, the rest of the movie essentially, so, like, he, he kills this guy off. But the rest of the movie is essentially, like, uh, a, a, a Basically, a mix between the um, Miles character, kind of trying to woo the, the the token female worker within the within the company.
1: I thought she was the blonde girl in um, Night Court, but it's not her. But it looks a lot like her.
0: Hmm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> not um, sure on that one. But
1: she has she has the classic eighties look, where there's just a lot of product
0: in yeah. the hair. Yeah, yeah that's right. The hair
1: that, yeah, and the hair's shaped in a certain very 80s way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a bit of, again, I thought maybe she was the female lead because uh, they end up at some point going for going out to dinner and
0: yeah, that's right. he ends
1: up seducing her. Yeah. Or you can tell that yeah. she, she figures, uh, I can get in here if I fuck the boss. Yes. And then he
0: beats her up? Yeah, essentially. Like, yeah, that's right. And so, like, um, it's a pretty fucked up point in the movie. but And also, like, just to tap into what you were saying there, like, part of the failing of this movie is that it's hard to connect with a character that is his yin and, and to the yang, you know, it's like who, who is his polar opposite? It's yeah. Kind of and, and they, they try and use, um, the Reverend character, Reverend Penny, played by Paul Savino. As the,
1: Savino's dad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, I'm going to just mention that he also played Paul Tur- Paul Chichirio in um, Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an awesome film. And that's what I know him from. Um, but yeah, like, and so, and yes, he probably is the only character that brings any sense of gravitas to the film. Um, mm. But yeah, like, it, like even then, like he's he's quite subdued. Um, and, you know, he, he kind of is oscillating or you know is trying to hypothetically kind of work through what's going on with miles like he's probably the only one that's really going yeah there's something not quite right there what's going on and he's the one that kind of bandies around the, the fact the idea that this guy's come back without a soul mm. um and so he kind of leads the investigation but like it only kind of leads him to um confront the guy um and then Miles basically tries to run him over with a car.
1: <laughs> he uh, locks his coat into the car door. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's right. And
1: drives off with him, which is like you know, if something like that happens, yeah, you can't get out of it. You, I mean, Sereno's is a big dude, so if it was like someone like you and me, yeah, I would have just gotten out of the coat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> guy's about to take off, but yeah, he literally drags him along the road, turns around, and runs him over. Yeah. <laughs> Which you know, okay, but he ends up looking remarkably okay for somebody who's had a car smashing through. Yeah, yeah, I
0: know. There's that shot of him going 60 go, miles an oh. hour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, And then he ends up, you know, obviously getting taken to hospital. And you're like, so, hold on, so who is who is going to be the one yeah. who, who huh. win win this guy over and like and knock him out? Because um, then we kind of go back to the scene in the house, and then he does the more pervy pervy stuff with with the stepsister who, yeah. who comes home right it's cold she comes home there's a fire the only fire that's working in like the biggest kind of fireplace in, in humankind in their lounge room and you presume in pitch darkness but um, the Miles character's sitting there but she comes in and she takes off her, her coat and she's wearing like a leotard of some kind and I'm like where the <laughs> fuck is she <laughs> and why is that the only thing she's wearing class
1: huh Jazzercise was big back then, dude. She was doing jazzercise,
0: but it's cold outside. Like, <laughs> just like,
1: She's come just... from jazzercise class. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't yeah, have time to change.
0: <laughs> got to get, got to get home. No time to get dressed. Uh, I just thought that was really odd. And anyway, um, there was a moment for um, him to be a bit pervy and try and kind of force himself on her. And then who turns up but Mum? Banner, yeah um, um who uh, he, block. yeah like comes and basically Dude. shoots him Read the room, <laughs> <Mom>. <laughs> yeah yeah like what are you doing God, mom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but she kind of like um shoots him in the chest but I, I would, there's a point before that though she doesn't shoot him at this point though does she she kind of basically like she disappears she locks him and he goes yes. and tries to find her and she locks him in the freezer
1: um Yeah, so this is is this supposed to be a homage to um <laughs> Um To what? <laughs> um
0: Um Nicholson. Oh, the Shining. Shining, yeah. yeah. Oh maybe, I don't know. I just it was a weird moment for me. Like anyway lock you know, locks him in and then and then calls the police and then like, Calls the cops.
1: Yeah. And you see his body and he's frozen. Um, again, I have to admit, I didn't actually wash the dishes. I had well, I had to wash the dishes at this point. So I missed a huge chunk of this film. <laughs> so I come back to see the cops come in yep. and see his frozen body. And so and for a second I thought, oh, this Miles has been an imposter. He killed the original Miles and stuck him in a freezer all this time. <laughs> There's other Miles is an imposter, and I thought, Oh, twist, that's kind of true. And then I go, Oh, no, no, it's the same Miles, he's just you Body Factors pretend- moment. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I honestly thought it was. Yeah, yeah. I thought, Oh, maybe this film's worth rewinding, looking at because I thought, Oh, that kind <laughs> of a <laughs> twist.
0: No, <laughs> it, it
1: suddenly got interesting, yeah. but uh,
0: no, it's him playing possum basically, he's pretending yeah, to be dead exactly. And then uh, and so he attacks the cop, and then the mum ends up having to shoot uh, Simon, kill him, uh, um, yes.
1: not before he does the I'm alive, no, I'm dead. Thing. I'm alive,
0: but I'm dead. But I'm alive again. No, no. I, oh wait, sorry. I am actually dead. Yeah, I'm, dead. Yes, um, I'm dead. I am actually dead this time. So, and then like the final scene is back at the cryogenics. Oh no, just before that is the hospital scene where we have the the mother character asking if he uh, if the reverend will pull through, and they said um, we we just don't know. It's too. We just cannot tell. We cannot tell at this point. And she says, "Well, what can what can I do? Is there anything I can do?" And the guy just says, "Pray." Um, mm. So kind of alluding to that, you know, we cannot, um, we cannot do God's will, only God can act out his will, essentially. Um, yeah. And then the final scene is back at the cryogenics facility where the alarm goes off again and all the, all the storage tanks kind of kind of begin to thaw uh, yeah. with more of these. So kind of alluding to the fact that, you know, we may have dealt with one Marvel's but we're going to now have many of these kind of soulless people coming back. Um, miles, and that, miles and miles of soulless people. Miles and miles of soulless people, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's, you how, we back, wow. that's how it ends. I yeah. think that would have, you
1: know, after the first breakdown, like just run a double check that the facility is working correctly, but apparently it's not.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, no, it's fine. fine. Well, fine. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's the upside of it. So... Uh, final thoughts on on the movie itself uh yeah I
1: didn't even give it a chance (laughs) um yeah it looks yeah it's a a TV movie um yeah it's it's you know a good film to be working this is you see sort of things like this and you think a career in film television whether you're a filmmaker or an actor or producer or or cinematographer yeah can be a day job Yeah. yeah um because you're just churning out stuff that's just not memorable, but you're just, you're working.
0: Um,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, uh, which there is an industry in America where it can be like that, mm. where you can. And so that's the closest you can have to an industry where it's nine to five, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Movie yeah. of the week in these daytime movies are being churned out uh, where, you know, which would be kind of nice, I guess. <laughs> but in terms of the quality of the film as a standout piece of art, uh, no, <laughs> no, no, uh, no. You know, it, yeah, I, it falls apart. You know, there's no, there's no. The only antagonist is a bad guy. He's the bad guy. So who's yeah, the good
0: that's guy? Right. That's right. And I, and I've got to say, I, I, struggle with even recommending this to Wes Craven fans who may not mm. have put this one before. Unlike, as I said, Deadly Blessing and and even Summer of Fear, in, in its respects, had something that was uh, integral to Craven's kind of visual eye or. Or something that kind of tapped into what made him great in other movies. Um, yeah. Arezzo, whereas this just, it was soulless. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah. You know. I see what um, you did there. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was interesting. I mean, like, you look at IMDb and they've got it at 4.5%, and Rotten Tomatoes is 14%, I think, off the top of my head. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's not really kind of reviewed highly and kind of have to fall in line with that kind of consensus it's it's a pretty forgettable movie in my in my book um but you know it's part of the canon of of Wes Craven's work thus far and as we will continue to talk about his other movies down the track we'll kind of see how it sits um you know in line with the rest of his movies as well my hunch is is that it'll be one of one of the more forgettable ones and kind of at the lower end of the of the uh (laughs) <laughs> of the uh, barometer, I don't know scale. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, yeah. um, uh, as far as things go with these movies, but yeah. Um, but uh, and did you want to add anything else to that, Mister Y? Uh, not
1: me. really. No. Um, I honestly thought we'd gone through all these films before. Apparently, he's made a buttload like, more, <laughs> and these are the bad ones.
0: Yay! How
1: many of the nightmare films did he direct? Two. Too. And then he's an executive producer for the rest. I'm guessing. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. So he basically did uh, he did the first one, obviously, um, and then uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which is where satire starts to play. A really
1: did come in. Yeah, right. Which is what he, which yeah. is what he wanted to do. So, uh, I mean,
0: I do feel for the guy. I mean, I
1: get um, uh, like you know, like we talked about with Chappie. Chappie's as a feature yeah. film guy, he's horror films, and it's not his, it's not his main love. Like he he loves horror films, but he wants to do everything else too. Obviously. And he's talented enough to do that, but I, I kind of get you go where the work is and stuff yeah. like that. And I, I'm pretty sure he's good enough to do other areas of drama and whatever that mm-hmm. he wants to. But for now, he's doing horror films and TV-wise, he does the science fiction stuff with Doctor yes. Who and, yes. and and and, and our, which I, you know, you know me, <laughs> that would be, that'd be it. If I... Had that, that's my life achieved.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, yeah.
1: Nothing else to do now but retire. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, you get it. Like it's that it's that you're always finding in our industry, whether you're behind the scenes or in front of the camera, fighting that edge of being pigeonholed versus doing everything you want to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some people love being pigeonholed. Like I said, for me, if I did nothing but sci-fi and horror, yeah, we're, we're all good here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know um at least yeah it, it, yeah it is it is i do feel for where when you point out that you know you want your break yeah but yeah he, he wanted to do other things um but you know he was very good at doing the thing that he did in horror so that's the
0: thing yeah you know and like you know coming back to scream as well like he he just turned that genre on its head when that came yeah. out um and then we get a whole series of, of copycat kind of movies of the time with even um, Halloween Hdo was embedded within that kind of um, that same kind of world I mean it helps that Kevin Williamson was a screenwriter on both of them but um, but also like you know urban legends and uh, a bunch of other movies uh, I know what we did last summer all those kind of things that kind of came out around that time frame essentially kind of just basically the 90s was that era and that kind of horror movies sort of were being made. Um, and Craven kind of re, re did that again slightly. But it'd be interesting to see if, like, you know, when we come to our final discussions on West Craven's movie, which we're not going to be able to get to in this current season, um, but when we finally do and look back, whether... I mean, my hunch is that I'm going to answer that question now, but I, my hunch is, is that I think uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street will always be his... His defining movie. Um, uh, it's just, yeah. it, there's a lot about that, the ingredients and chemistry that went with that. Um, it was just, a game changer. Yeah, it was, it was, and it was hard to shift away from that once he'd made that kind of a movie. But let's see, well, we will continue that journey down the track, but until then, um, I think we'll bow out on this current problem. Um And uh, thanks again for offering your thoughts on this uh, Anthony Big Cheese. Um, and I'm your host uh, Saul Morte please kind of tune in for further discussions on Wes Craven's Nightmare Years until then goodbye see you bye you're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast music supplied by Peter Nezik. for more discussions or podcasts head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.